0: here's something else you know that no one's ever asked or or been asked to share so imagine yourself and related to sales imagine yourself you're in a sales position and you as a salesman or woman have a solution to someone's challenge that they have in their life and they ask you all right so I'd like to buy this I you know I want to move forward with you and if you say well, I got to go check with my boss or I can't do it today or I need some more time. And they're like, well, then why am I talking to you? You're not the decision maker. Yeah. And so if you then all your credibility and trust is completely gone. Today, I'm
1: honored to have Robin Dreek join us on the pod. Robin is a veteran Marine, former chief of the FBI counterintelligence behavioral analysis program and bestselling author of three books, including the code of trust reading the code of trust inspired me to reach out to Robin to come on the show. That's because in it, he breaks down the systems he developed in the FBI to produce more consistent results and building trust with Russian spies while recruiting them to become informants for the U S now the idea behind systems is to create a higher level of consistency and predictability in the responses you elicit from others. And if Robin could develop effective trust building systems in the high stakes game of counterintelligence, could those same systems be applied to sales? The answer is yes. But what exactly are those systems and how can we apply them to sales? Robin breaks it all down for us in this wide ranging conversation on building trust and forging unbreakable alliances. Have pen and paper handy, because you'll want to take notes on this one, or come back to listen to episode 12 of the Systematic Selling Podcast. Welcome to the pod, Robin.
0: Hey, Sean, it's great to be here. Great to be chatting in person again. We follow each other and we support each other, so it's great to have another conversation. it, It
1: most certainly is, and... I've really been looking forward to catching back up with you. You know, it's been about four years since we last talked. And this time we're going to be focusing on trust and its aspect in sales. And the key question of, you know, can you systematize and scale trust building and sales? But before we dive into that topic, I wanted the audience to get a, get to know a little bit more about you. I've mentioned in the intro your background as how would you say it, a spy recruiter?
0: Yeah, I say spy recruiter for for everyday terminology and phraseology. Technically, what I did inside the FBI was the chief of the counterintelligence behavioral analysis program. I taught at Quantico, advanced yeah. skills, and I was a I was a street agent for most of my career, and my job was ultimately was thwarting. The intelligence services from foreign countries that don't have our national security interests at heart. In order to do that, the number one thing you can do is recruit the intelligence officers working on behalf of foreign governments. Most of the time, they're diplomats working at diplomatic establishments, whether it be in D.C., New York, or consulates. My main focus most of my career was Russia. Yeah. And my main job for most of my crew is Russian military intelligence officers or GRU, sometimes SVR when I was headquarters base, And my job was to recruit them, which is what I call the toughest sales job in the world.
1: Absolutely. So another word for recruiting in that arena is flipping them. Is that sure.
0: accurate? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but that's an interesting word. And I love words and phraseology because they have yeah. such a deep meaning for each of us and they have a, an emotional reaction. Yeah. How we react and how we present that reaction to the world makes e- either people feel safe or yeah. unsafe, which is the key motivation in sales and anything else. Yeah. But in reality, and just like in sales, you're not really flipping anyone. What you're doing is you're discovering yeah. challenges, priorities, and pain points and seeing yeah. if your resources that you're offering align with them. And so it's either deep inside them already or it's not. My job is to figure out which one's had it deep inside and they're too afraid to let it out because they could be killed. Not. So it, It's <laughs> that's what it comes down to. So that's why it's the toughest sales job is how do you identify a need in someone that is terrified to show it?
1: Now, I'm curious. Did you grow up with this inclination of one day, I will be with the FBI, I will be with the behavioral analysis unit. I mean, we didn't have criminal minds on TV when we were waking, you know, when we were growing up, but did you have that sense of, I wanna serve my country and that's an arena I wanna serve? Did you have that inclination as a kid?
0: So I had the inclination to serve, you know, we're, we're same generation, so you know Ronald yeah. Reagan was president when I was in high school. I didn't know about politics; I just knew about inspirational speeches, and I wanted to be an astronaut. So my whole thing was I wanted to go to the Naval Academy, Navy pilot, astronaut, and that's from the life arc that was sparked from friends of our family because I came in a very economically challenged family. Neither my mm-hmm. parents had ever been to college. To this day, my parents have never owned a home, wow. so it was very challenging economically but we had friends of the family that were really well off uh, airline pilots and things like that and i thought that was the coolest thing but you know things go sideways I had i did not want to go in the fbi as a marine corps officer so i went to the naval academy and after there, I went Marine Corps. And as a Marine Corps officer, you go through Guanaco, which is the same area that the FBI Academy is at. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of chuckle because one of the things that Marines do is at a young age, you judge a living hell out of everyone else, which is a horrible thing to do, because if you're trying to build trust, you don't do that. Right. <laughs> and so we used to make fun of FBI agents all the time. And so <laughs> it was not in my mind to ever want to join. But things kind of change and they evolve and you grow and it became an opportunity to serve. It literally... I didn't join the FBI to, I didn't even know about counterintelligence when I came in the FBI Yeah, and I never definitely did not hear of behavioral things mm-hmm. and it just kind of all fell into place and you kind of embrace where you're planted. And if you want to be successful in anything in life, you know, flower where you're planted, make people's jobs around you easier, make them feel wow. safe with the choices that you're offering them. And then you can kind of grow and prosper as well.
1: Now, what led you then into the
0: FBI? I know you weren't thinking about the behavioral
1: analysis unit, but, you know, you went, did you go straight from the Marine Corps into the FBI or did yeah. you do anything in between?
0: I had a two-week break. So the last thing I'd done in the Marine Corps was I was a, well, I was a series commander at Paris Island, South Carolina, at boot camp. Basically, I did five, it was called five cycles on the drill field. Then yeah. you rotate. i had rotated up to depot operations, and so I was in charge of the entire schedule for Marine Corps boot camp at at Paris Island, and then at the same time we instituted the Crucible. And the Crucible is a culminating event in the Marine Corps. I was one of the writers of the Crucible and implementers of that in 1996. And we had a Marine. We had an FBI recruiter came down to Paris Island. And said, "I think Marine Corps officers make great FBI agents." And my my primary job in the Marine Corps was sending me to Okinawa and back to the fleet for about six years. And My wife and I were thinking about having a family, and we're thinking, you know, I love being a Marine. I love being in the Marine Corps, but the job, my primary job in the Marine Corps, was not fun. It was it was called Air Support Control Officer. It was my almost my last choice when I went through uh, the <laughs> basic school yeah. at Quantico. And so this this FBI guy comes down and says, "I think." Captain's, you know, Marine Corps captains make great FBI agents. My wife had already applied, believe it or not. She applied before I did. She, we we grew up together in the same town and we went on this eighth grade trip down to Washington, D.C. What what,
1: what town was that, by the way?
0: Carmel, New York in Putnam County. So just about an hour and a half, two hours north of New York City in the woods. I grew up in the sticks in upstate New York. And so we we take this trip down in eighth grade to FBI headquarters in in Washington, D.C., and she fell in love with the FBI and wanted to join. So she actually applied before I did. I moved through the process faster. I got in. We wound up having my daughter instead. So she made the choice Well, we did to, you know, she's going to be a stay at home mom for a while. So thank God because she it's (laughs) the FBI lost. But my family won because she would have made a much better FBI agent than I ever did. I say it all the time, but she's a much better mother than I would have been a stay-at-home dad. So (laughs) FBI lost, my family won.
1: Win-win right there. Yeah. That's great. Well, today we're going to dive into the work that you've done in terms of trust building, especially what you did with the FBI and now what you're doing with your own company and your your speaking business and so forth. Uh, Real quick, I wanted to mention – one of the things that made me think about reaching out to you specifically on this topic was one of your first books. Was this? Your second book, second book, the, yep. the code of trust and American counterintelligence experts, five rules to lead and succeed. And we'll be breaking that down today, but you also wrote uh, the first book I read of yours was sizing people up yep. and your first book, book was what was that the people formula
0: no what? yeah so the first book was it's not all about me the top 10 techniques for quick rapport with anyone and so that's my first self-published one i wrote that when i was at the fbi academy at quantico teaching yeah and someone had really asked me to come on a podcast for them, and and hey can you tell someone how to develop rapport in five minutes and so i was like hey let me kind of put this down on paper and that book was born from that and then, from there, trust was born because of my behavioral team actually. Someone asked me to yeah. write another article for a law enforcement bulletin, and I sat down and said, "Well, what does my behavioral team do When I'm sitting down and strategizing all these hooky- spooky spy cases, what am I actually doing? What's the universal, you know, 30,000-foot-level yeah. thing?" And what I, what I quickly found out was all I was doing in every aspect of my life and job was strategizing trust. Mm-hmm. And the code of trust is born. And then sizing people up is we're kind of reversing it, looking and assessing the behavior of others. Are they trustworthy? And then my next one coming out in October is the Unbreakable Alliances, which is all about the next part of the evolution. When you have trust, what do you then ultimately have? Yeah. Great, healthy, strong relationships. And when you have relationships that can solve problems with innovation, you got the full kahuna going. So that's what it's all about.
1: <laughs> awesome. Now, when you... When you started your business, you were still with the FBI. I know you wrote yeah. your first book while you're still with the FBI. What what led you to start it?
0: Oh, that was fortune really. <laughs> I was so lucky. So a very good friend of mine, uh, one of the founders of the behavioral analysis program in the FBI, a international nonverbal expert. His name is Joe Navarro. Yeah, um, Joe is a very good friend of mine, a, a teacher, mentor, and guide. And when I was still in the FBI, Joe Joe. We had an overlap by a number of years. He was on the team that I I ultimately ran, but we were team members. And Jack Schaefer's another one wasn't a founding member. He wrote the Like Switch and whatever, and the Truth Detector. And Joe Joe's Phenom, what everybody is saying, is still an international bestseller. And he said something so profound to me, and he says he barely remembers saying it to me, but it really stuck with me. Yeah. First thing he always said was, "Robin, if you have at least one bit of information, another human being can benefit from." from shame on you for not getting it to them. And part of that is publish, 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 publish. He said, write articles, write things, research, share your information knowledge, share your experience because someone else could benefit. And so he pushed me to write. And when I started writing and putting out articles in a law enforcement bulletin, ultimately the first book, I started getting calls to give talks on those articles and the topics. And so in order to do that inside the FBI, so, I could work outside. I had to put in what's called a outside employment request, so every yeah. year I had to renew my authority to speak outside. All my books still have to go through pre publication review if it has any kind of f b i stories, even though it's all fictionalized so yeah so it was a laborious process long answers called a narrative answer for that's how it all started back yeah. in two thousand eight. I think is my first time I gave an outside speech.
1: How did you feel about when you retired from the f b i and you went all in on running the business yourself. Relieved, that's the no first longer, I've heard. Yeah, I no, <laughs> had to do,
0: I no longer had to. I no longer they had to. I no longer put in seek. the. Yeah, the only permission I had to seek was for myself, and so I was able to just let go of the anchor that was weighing that felt like it was weighing me down for all those years and dragging and the stress every year of is my boss going to disapprove me doing this? You know, what am I going to do? If that happens, I have all these contracts of speaking gigs coming up. I mean, it was, it was a constant weight and burden to manage two lives. (laughs) There is no doubt.
1: That, that is a great way to frame it. Cause I imagine, you know, in our family, we we joke around, you know, you fall in two buckets, the rule followers and the, you know, kind of the, the rule challengers. And, if you're wired as an entrepreneur, you're automatically wired as a rule challenger. Yep. <laughs> your, your decades of experience, whether it was in the military or law enforcement, you are in a cocoon of rule following. Oh. So I, did you feel, are you one of those that had that rule challenger wire set, but you know, kind of having the work within that, that rule
0: following uh, cocoon. 100%. You know, Sean, yeah. I love podcasts and a, and a great interviewer like yourself that asks a question that no one's ever asked before. when, when, when someone, when I get that coming back at me, I'm like, yes. <laughs> and you hit on something that no one has ever hit on before. Wow. I've talked about this very few times inside the FBI as well. When you work in the world of counterintelligence, so the FBI does two things. yeah. well, we do one primary thing, that's protect national security in United States and uh, keeps our citizens safe. Literally, that is it. Everything is centered around that is safety for the population. And there's two ways in which we do that. We have the criminal side, which reacts to crimes after the fact, and then we investigate it and put people behind bars. Yeah, we have terrorism that falls on the same side of national security. But inside of national security, we have counterintelligence. Counterintelligence means you have to be out in front of the adversary because if you're looking at the rubble of a wreck, you're too late. If you're trying to conduct an espionage investigation after the espionage is committed, you fail. Our job, my job every day, as I call it, was to buy a lotto ticket, to buy a chance, to recruit a spy, or an intelligence officer that can yeah. tell us what they're going to do before they do it so we can prevent it so we can protect So because in order to protect things you've got to be out in front of things which yeah. requires an immense amount of innovation creative thinking like every single operation every single human being i interact with was a completely different operation to how to present a set of solutions for unique challenges, challenges, priorities, and and friction points in a human being's life, and how do I find those out? You have to be out in front. You have to create. Now, when you work inside an organization about rules, processes, and procedures, and you try to create, welcome to the world of friction because that creation does not make people feel safe. And my bosses want to feel safe to get promoted. So it, it became constant strategies to inspire my bosses to feel safe, to tell me yes, to do something innovative and be out in front of the bad guy.
1: <laughs> so you, you were dealing with a two front, I wouldn't say battle as much as, but a two battle. front. Okay. Bat, battled, battle lines in terms of you had to build trust with the terrorist informants that are out there or potential informants that you're recruiting. Mm-hmm. And then you had to build trust with your your senior management to ensure that they will give you enough leash to do what you need to do over here because if you cannot and i could be wrong so correct me if i am but if i put myself in your shoes in that moment the thing that will kill your trust the most with those potential informants is you not being able to follow through on any sort of promise that you make because over here senior management puts the kibosh on it. 100%. So you're having to balance those two. To is that is that accurate?
0: Hundred percent. And yeah. uh, here's something else you know that no one's ever asked or, or been asked to share. So imagine yourself and related to sales. Imagine yourself you're in a sales position and yes. you as a salesman or woman, have a solution to someone's challenge that they have in their life. And they ask you, all right, so I'd like to buy this. I, You know, I, I want to move forward with you. And if you say, well, I got to go check with my boss, or I can't do it today, or I need some more time. And they're like, well, then why am I talking to you? You're not
1: the decision maker. Yeah.
0: And so if you, then then all your credibility and trust is completely gone. And so that, I've seen that happen. I've seen You know, agents have walked up to potential sources and say, well, I got to check with my boss. All right. Then why don't why isn't your boss here? And so you have in order to get to that level of being able to make decisions, you have to know what questions are going to be asked ahead of time to get approval for those questions ahead of time. Most of my time when I was running my behavioral team, when we're doing a consultation for a case agent in the field, I was strategizing not just the operation for the case agent, but how to present that operation to their management to get yes, so they can move forward and do what I call righteous work. Yeah. And because righteous work does not make a lot of people feel safe.
1: Define what you mean by righteous work.
0: (laughs) Protect the national security of the United States and and our citizens and our NATO allies as well as an offshoot a lot of times.
1: So what you're saying in order to achieve that mission, it, it, it is not going to make people internally feel comfortable because you're having to do things that might challenge the status quo, of the way things
0: did. In, in the extreme cases. Yeah. You know, anytime you're, and this isn't like for, you know, you know, Looking at helping a company, local company here that might be a clear defense contractor, it's got a penetration or attempted penetration by the Chinese or Iranians or something like that. That's kind of run of the mill stuff. But when you're going to be out in front to do the high level recruitments that require a lot of other organizations like the CIA, like State Department, like our foreign services that we work with, whether it's MI five or six or the Aussies or any of the five eyes that require a lot of deeper coordination that's a lot of people that it might feel unsafe with your choices and experience level. He's like, well, why him? I mean, so there's and they're not bad questions. This is never me saying this is a wrong system. It's it's just an understanding of the system so that you can do and this is complicated work. Yeah. You know, it's not just saying, Hey, I want to recruit the spy, let let me offer him a bunch of money. That is like the most rudimentary, dumb way people can look at it. And I hate using that word dumb, but it is such a a low brow, low level way to look at it. These are complicated things because of complicated, complicated gyrations that involve not just our country, not just our office, not just our population. We're talking world in a lot of these things. When you're trying to recruit a Russian intelligence officer, for say, and he's working at the United Nations and they're directly feeding intelligence to their entire apparatus and putin that's making all decisions that are infecting the world a lot of people are going to want to have a say on whether you can do that or not
1: 100 <laughs> percent. now i imagine as you did that and you're you're dealing with the two fronts you had to systematize your approach to building trust so that you would have some sort of predictability i can't imagine you having to do that where you're where everything feels like a one-off and you're trying to figure out how to navigate each situation and in ways to keep your head together I imagine you would have to have like certain systems where you go this will work for probably 80 90 percent of the situation so i can i can move more fluidly once i know those systems what are some of those systems that you developed in that crucible, where you're getting pressure on both sides, to understand how to build trust. So the oh, the way of thinking of it is, you know, can you systematize trust building? Yeah. Whether it was in this instance or the
0: topic that we're talking about today in terms of sales, how do you do it? You know, I, I wish I knew what back then what i know now about what i was doing intuitively and and what i was learning from these jedi masters of 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 this realm that were so good at what they do but they they didn't have a system either it's a lot of us get this ojt that's on the job training we just learned by osmosis trial error and failure yep it was very beneficial it was beneficial for me to sit back and analyze when i had to teach this stuff and then share it to systematize, like you said, the skill set. And yeah. it is actually a lot more simple than people think. The execution of it is challenging, but the understanding, deeper understanding is very, very simple. So here's yeah. the system. First and foremost, I let go of the notion of trying to convince anyone of my point of view or to listen to me or to take an action. The word convincing, the word Influence, the word persuasion. Those words are all about what I want. And you know what? No one in the world cares about what you want. (laughs) They care about what they want. So the first thing to do is shift your mindset from trying to convince someone to do something to how do I inspire them to want to. So inspiration has to come from within. So when you're thinking in terms of how do I inspire someone to listen? How do I inspire someone to action? How do I inspire someone to move forward with something? I have to... Think in terms of how do I unlock something in them that I can solve? In other words, I have to start reversing and start stop thinking about what my challenges are and think in terms of what their challenges are. Because here is a fundamental understanding of every single human being. Like right now, Sean, I can predict what you're going to do every minute of every day. You are going to act in your own best interests of your safety, security, prosperity, and welfare of you and those you care deeply about. My job, all I have to do is figure out what you think that is from your perspective. Where do I gain that information from the internet? Like I know you care deeply about your daughter who's just married. You know, so all these little nuances. I know if I talk about these things and challenges that are in that sphere of of influence for you. And then I offer you resources in terms of those things. And now you feel safe with me because that's the other part of the equation. How do I inspire someone to feel safe? with me. Yeah. So I solve a problem. That's a pain point in your life. And you combine that with feeling safe with me. And we might then have some movement forward. Right. So when you put those things together, I like to do what I call utilizing the four keys of communication. Because basically, what you need to do in every situation to be able to move forward, to inspire someone to feel safe, to make them feel seen, allow them to feel heard, so so their pleasure centers in their brain are firing when they interact with you. In other words, what you want to do is think in terms of when they see me, when they see me show up on a cell phone caller ID, when they see me walk around that corner coming into an office, do their faces light up and get excited or they cringe in dread? And if you can do one of these four things, their faces are going to light up. And this is the first one. Seek their thoughts and opinions instead of telling them yours because no one cares. Two, talk in terms of their challenges, priorities, pain points, and any friction they're dealing with in life instead of yours. Three, and three is the gold standard for everyone in your life, right? I guarantee you, think about the person that you light up for when you think about them. They're doing number three. They're non-judgmentally curious and validating of you and who you are, the life choices you're making, and how you're walking your path in life. Three, I mean four then, you empower people with choices, And why empower people with choices? Well, for one thing, when you offer someone at least two choices, I guarantee you the choices you're offering are good with you too. And so it makes them feel safe, Well, inspires them to feel safe because you're giving them situational awareness. You're giving them a cost-benefit analysis that allows them to feel safe with something they're comfortable with. In other words, so you're going to seek a thought and opinion, talk in terms of a priority of theirs, validate them non-judgmentally with deep curiosity, and give them choices. The entire shift goes from you to them let me hit the pause button there real quick could you
1: for each of those four set up how they would work in a sales situation definitely see it in theory now the rubber meets the road what do those look like what are practical ways that someone could systematize that and apply that to sales
0: Let's use cars. If you want, we just bought a new car in my house. I I came from, I, I sold commercial trucks for six years. There you so. go. Yeah, I know. All <laughs> right. So, so typically you get a, a, a younger person, not much experience. They can be as congenial and, and polite and nice as you possibly can be. And that, that's, that goes an incredibly long way, yeah. you know, being congenial, being nice, being respectful, having grace. When you talk to people, all those things are fantastic, but typically When you have an agenda that you have to sell a particular vehicle, you have to sell the package with it, you have to do the upsell on maybe the undercarriage, you have all these things, what's going on in your mind? You're thinking in terms of what you want and what you need. And so when you're communicating to a potential client, you're saying, hey, you know what's really important this month? You know what's really important for you? You know, we live here in the Northeast. Getting an undercoat on your uh, car is a very important thing these days. It'll preserve the life of your car and everything. So in other words, what am I doing? I'm telling him what I think. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, what's the most important thing for you for your vehicle? Are you going to be living in the North? Are you going to be living in the South? Where's this vehicle going to be housed? So, so instead of telling him what you're guessing at, you're asking a thought opinion about what, what are you going to do with this vehicle? Are you going to have your family in it? Are you going to use it for work? So again, seeking a thought and opinion. Two, this kind of leads in then to the priorities. So, so you're going to then seek a thought and opinion about, so what kind of challenges and priorities and pain points did you have with your last vehicle? Maybe instead of saying, hey, you know, these vehicles here are number one in safety. These vehicles here, they're great for hauling law, big loads. These vehicles here are great on EV emissions. They're great for plug ins. They're, you know, if you want to hype it. So you're guessing at what is important to the individuals instead of saying, hey, with all these things and all these technologies that are evolving in the world, what is the most important thing for you, for your family, if that's what you're going to use it for? or What are you going to use it for? So you got to understand. What the challenges that they're dealing with that they're going to solve that this product is going to solve that pain point of instead of guessing because again we can be right a lot of times but a lot of times it's going to be off i mean a great example of the car industry right now is electric gas diesel hybrid people if like when we walked into the toyota dealership to buy a car i can't tell you a number of people want to sell me a hybrid or an electric. I said, you know what I'm going to do with this car? You haven't even asked. First of all, I have a Toyota Tundra. I got a 5.7 liter V8 Toyota Tundra. Why? Because I tow campers. I've been yeah. camping with my travel trailer for, for 20 years. I don't want to look at any of your electric cars or electric trucks because they can't <laughs> tow my camper. Uh-huh. But you're guessing. So instead of say, so what are you going to be doing with this vehicle? See what I mean? So that's a second thought and opinion and talking in yeah. terms of priority. Now, the deep curiosity part and the non judgmental validation is don't argue with me. <laughs> if I tell you I've done my research and I think X, Y, and Z about electric cars or gas cars or diesel cars or all these things, don't argue with me about what you think. Say, wow, it sounds like Robin, you gave that a lot of thought and education. Curious, yeah. where'd you come up with all that? I've had, and so here's where you say I've had a similar experience too. You know, I had someone that actually came in with a similar thing. They utilize this for towing their vehicles. Have you thought about that? So again, you're you're being curious. You're doing a deeper dive to get that context.
1: Yeah.
0: And finally, with the empowerment with choice, the last one instead instead of saying, "Robin, I'll tell you what, this Toyota Corolla would be perfect for your family." As opposed to, hey, Robin, we got a couple models of Toyota Corollas, if that's what you're interested. In. You could go this level or this level. If you're looking for the Camry, comparable levels over here. What do you think is more appropriate for you and your family and longevity, resale value? What are those things that are going to mean the most to you? So instead of kind of boxing me and you're going to give me choices that I can choose from.
1: There's an overall theme that I believe I, that ties it together for me. You tell me if I'm wrong. Your four steps, therefore, I would call them steps because it's a progression. They they are driven by questions and listening, versus you contrast what is the conventional method, which is speaking and telling. Is that is that different? You're you're drawing them in. You're you're using questions to draw in and attract and It's not leading them as much as it's collaborating with them to lead where they ultimately want to go and you're informing them to help them lead themselves into a direction that is best for them. Is that an accurate way of putting those four steps
0: together? hundred percent. It is completely about them. You're All you're doing is discovering the path that they've set for themselves and seeing where you fit into that path. I call it the power of what and the lack of I. And what I mean by that is what questions are very, very great because what questions forces someone to be specific instead of saying, so why do you want that kind of car? Instead, say, what specifically are you hoping to have with a vehicle and what kind of things will you be doing with that vehicle? The why gets kind of subjective and kind of mushy for people. Right. Understanding the overarching why, like inside the FBI, my, my overarching why was protect national security in the United States. The what question was, what are you going to do to do that? Well, I'm going to recruit sources. Well, I'm going to do investigation. I'm going to do all the what and hows. So asking what questions helps people be specific, helps them be cognitive, and helps them solve problems. The lack of I means eliminate the word I from the things you're saying because no one cares about your thoughts. They want to share their thoughts and have you solve their problems. And so if you can eliminate I from that, fantastic. And there's three behaviors now. So we now know the language. What three behaviors can you have to inspire more trust? Yeah. Open eyes communication with transparency, vulnerability, and self-deprecation. Because that open house communication transparency, it is key and critical. Because when people see that you're transparent, in other words, if you have a special going on that month, yeah, and you actually have to make a made it, make a quota of a certain car, say it. Yeah. Oh my god, it'll blow people's minds. It's like, listen. I'm going to try to sell you this car because we got a special going on this car. Tell them why there's a special. we got a special on oh. this car because you know what? We actually do have a slightly better price because we made a little too many of them or this color. Yeah. You know what? People generally don't like the silver, but I can give you a better deal on the silver if that's what you're interested in. Or you can go with the more expensive one over here. I'll make a little bit more commission on this one, but we're trying to push this one. What do you want to do? Well, not, Do not trust that salesperson then? Yeah, absolutely. You, you trust them because they're completely open about it. They, they help you take a look behind the curtain. Yep, And people aren't looking for perfection. They're looking for effort. And if you're making an effort on their behalf, then you know what? I know if you offer me something over here, I'm going to trust you're going to give me the best deal or at least going to tell me what the best deal is for you and me. Because when you are kind of that transparent with me, I want it to be good for you too. I don't want to take advantage of you. I want you to make a little bit of money because you know why? You're working hard for me. And the way I've... I've talked about
1: situations like that is you you can look at it as hey we owe the customer a right of refusal this is something that is on discount this is why we it's on discount give them the option say this is what it is and if it works out awesome if not you know we've got these other options here but at least give them the right of refusal and that's how you can frame that within what you were just
0: talking about there. 100% because then what happens is the most important thing in the entire world mm-hmm. when this person leaves you even if they don't buy a vehicle from you, mm-hmm. you're going to get a referral. Yeah. Because this is where prosperity comes in is that word of mouth of, you know what? I got a buddy, I just I just bought a car from Robin over at this dealership. Don't go anywhere else. Go to I don't care if you don't want a Toyota, I don't care if you want a Ford. You can do whatever you want, but I'm telling you, I like Robin. He won't yeah. see you wrong. Yeah. He's not going to screw you over. So, what's the second one? Which
1: so you had the you had the first one where you're talking about open honest
0: commun- You're right. Open transparency. honest. Transparency. Transparency. So transparency is the second one. I okay. one. So open honest communication. Transparency is two, and then vulnerability is the third. So Got vulnerability it. is where you're you're saying what you're good at. You're saying what you're bad at, and you're being transparent about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so an example of that would be. I'll tell you what, <laughs> last month, I didn't make my quota because I, I didn't sell these these cars because <laughs> I yeah. just kind of sucked. <laughs> I'm new on the job. Oh, I'm new on the job. I only got to the dealership a month ago. And I'll tell you what, I've been studying really hard and I'm going to walk you through all the widgets you're going to get with this car. If I missed one or two, I deeply apologize. If you want a yeah. little bit better explanation and I can't give it to you, let me know right now. I'll go get so-and-so. He's been here for 20 years. He might be able to fill that gap that I might not be able to do for you.
1: And I uh, imagine also like, if you're the business owner and you're figuring out a way to, you know, you're, you're thinking about launching a new product or have a new offer. That's one way of couching it. Look, this is brand new, We're not hundred mm-hmm. percent sure how it will work. Here's you, we can offer this at a discounted service to give it, you know, for you to give it a try, see if it works and if it does awesome. And you know, it, with your feedback, we can help make it better, but having that vulnerability of being completely open about what's going on with that, with that new offer.
0: The greatest thing about vulnerability also is we trust people who demonstrate vulnerability with us, because if you're willing to share with me your imperfections, that means you're sharing with me everything because we're so insecure to share anything negative about us that if someone is willing to share that you know what everything coming out of your mouth has a lot of credibility to me because no one is perfect and you're telling me you're not perfect and you tell me exactly where you're not perfect you're letting me feel safe to make a choice in the areas i want to go with you i often say i'd rather have some i'd hire anyone in any position almost <laughs> that has those those things going open eyes communication with transparency and vulnerability because i can teach anyone to flip a switch i can't teach that kind of level of feeling safe with someone
1: yeah and what you also do there is when you're being vulnerable with me you give me permission to be vulnerable with you 100 and then that's that's where you start getting that trust bond. It's, a, it's almost it, the reciprocity effect, but
0: in the it more is more intangible. Because then what you have is a healthy relationship. Yeah. When you have healthy relationships and people feel safe together, when you face a challenge, you then will have innovation kicking in. Yeah. Especially, you know, when we're talking about small business owners and entrepreneurs, if you don't innovate, you will fail. Mm-hmm. You know, and innovation, what's innovation is just overcoming challenges, priorities, and pain points in a unique way that no one else has thought of before. And how do yeah. we do that? We generally do that when we're in deprivation, which is a small business owner. We're in a constant state of deprivation, trying to innovate to to solve unique problems for ourselves and others.
1: Now, before we move on to from building trust to building unbreakable alliances, which I want to dig into your concept there, are there aspects that we haven't talked about when it comes to systematizing trust building that you think we should be thinking about?
0: No, those are the, those are the keys because I don't want to do the death by fire hose. I mean, there's a lot of things in there. There's, there I'd say an overarching behavior to have with all these things we're talking about is, is a deep curiosity towards others, a deep curiosity about things you do. In order to have that kind of deep curiosity, we must suspend our ego. And if we can put our ego in abeyance and be a constant student of everyone we engage, you will learn something because everyone has something to offer. So when you have humility, you become a good student of the world. And then you do the next hardest thing. Patience to put in the reps to get better. Mm -hmm. The only way anyone becomes a master is to put in reps. You know, another favorite author of mine, his name is Joshua Medcalf. He wrote, he wrote five great books, or I think maybe six now. My two favorites was the first one is Chop Wood, Carry Water. Mm. And the second one is called Pound the Stone. You know, you can take a a sledgehammer and and swing away at at this big boulder and you can hit it a hundred times, not thinking you're making a difference. And on that 101 time, the thing split right down the middle and cracked. Yes. Was it that one swing that did it? Nope. It was a hundred times before that did it. So in order to become a master at anything, you must put in reps. People that are born with a talent, if they think they've been born with a talent, a genetic and biological disposition or something, you're born with a spark and a desire to do something. You might have some genetic, you know, balancings of the body and, and in the brain and stuff. But if you don't put in even those great talents in the world, if they don't put in the reps, Leonardo da Vinci, a genius. Benjamin Franklin, another genius. Einstein, another genius. All these geniuses had this spark and a talent at an early age, but if they didn't put in the reps, they would have been nothing or they would have been everything because we all have something is a better way to put it. They just had reps in an area that served their talent and their passion, but it was reps. All of us need to put in reps.
1: Yeah. Something that I want to hit on that you talked about earlier that and before we go into unbreakable alliances was you talked about how trust building isn't about convincing people over on you know to to join you convincing people to buy from you and something that hit me as you were talking about that is the way i think of it is It's not convincing its alignment and everything that you talked about today, about the aspect of curiosity, the aspect of humility and empathy, what you're trying to discover with those traits is how do our interests align. And if we can create alignment, you don't need convincing. Right. alignment is where everything comes together and now you've got you've got essentially the flow state but for trust building you've eliminated the friction when you've
0: got the alignment 100% and alignment someone has to have the brave effort to suspend the ego to go towards alignment letting go of your own agenda if needs be and seeing what aspects of it align with the priorities of someone else. Because all we're doing when we're making this perfect flow state alignment is we're bringing resources to bear for priorities, challenges, and pain points in others. And all someone needs to do, or both parties, if it's a great, healthy relationship, is sharing what they're each bringing to the table to see where that alignment overlap is. Now, here's the beautiful thing. If you discover through the health... healthy conversation and dialogue with that open, honest transparency and that vulnerability that we just can't find that alignment. Fantastic. Because then we're not going to waste time. And then there you go. And then we're going to get the referrals for each other because we like each other because we respect each other because we, like you just said, we trust each other. When you trust someone, you'll always be there. Because you know they're not going to take advantage of you. You, They know there's not going to be an... I, I, I literally do this all the time in my own business. I had someone ask me two days ago, Robin, I got a keynote presentation opportunity for you this fall. It's in this area with these keynote topics. What's easy and what a lot of people will do is they'll say yes, and they'll figure out a way to do it, and they'll fall short of expectations. I said no. I said wow. I, I I, would love to. It's a great opportunity And I want to do this together, but I'd rather say no than overstate what I can do and underperform. And it'll damage your brand. It'll damage my brand. So I'd rather be cautious and say no so you can find someone who might be a better fit. And I reminded them, here is my specific area for action for you that you can utilize. And you know what? They came back one day later and said, actually, I got something even more perfect. Bingo.
1: That's it. Yeah, that's, and it goes back to, and I don't know if you worked with him when you were with the FBI, but Chris Foss and his idea of saying no without saying no. Right. That's essentially what you. Yeah,
0: it is Never Split the Difference is a fantastic book. Chris had taught my team when I first came at it back in 2002, yeah. and Chris has been doing what he's been doing as a negotiator for a very, very long time. The, that book is one of the best books, if not the best book I've ever read on negotiation in my entire life. It, it, it's a people often ask. So, so, if anyone listening has read that book or get that book and kind of seen where the overlap is, I've often heard our stuff compared. Yes. So, Chris's stuff on negotiation is there's a lot of focus on transactional. Yes. You know, how do you get it going? It's called tactical empathy. He talks about tactical empathy. Absolutely. I, where where we're talking about what I'm doing is the longevity game. I I so I pick up where Chris's where Chris leaves off, and I take it from there to then forever. So yeah. that's because then we're talking about alliances. So it's it's a They're very complementary. They're very overlapping. But hands down, Chris's book is pure gold.
1: Now, one of the things that I learned in my sales career when I was selling trucks, and then in business with myself is that my business grew in proportion to the the alliances i built so when i was selling trucks i could go directly to fleets and that'd be a one-to-one sales relationship what i learned to do was to develop alliances with the companies that put the bodies on the trucks. So in Florida, you've got pest control trucks that got big water and chemical tanks and things like that, that they spray on lawns. And those are specialty bodies in various industries. You've got crane bodies, you have bucket truck bodies, all those companies that build the bodies for the trucks have relationships with the end customers. What I found was, yes, I can go directly to the fleet or I can build relationships with these body companies and these upfitters in the industry. And you get that one-to-one to many because they, if I build the right alliance, will be selling my product, the chassis that goes underneath the body. And that takes this effort of building trust building alliances where you have to trust each other because you're selling to the same customer but you're doing it in a way that's a symbiotic relationship versus a competitive environment is that what is that a picture of what you talk about when you talk about unbreakable alliances or what do you
0: mean by that yeah I mean, it's, it's hitting the most important thing in life. And that is you can't be prosperous, thrive and survive without alliances <clears> Yeah, or what I call just healthy relationships. A one of the books I read, another book I read, her name's Alison Levine. She is a woman who has done the adventure grand slam. she had summited all the highest peaks on all seven continents. She's traversed the North pole and the South pole. Yeah. And she tells this great story and the power of alliances when it comes to saving your life. So she was going for her second attempt on Everest. The first one had failed, uh, and so about I think it was about eight years later she does her second attempt on Everest. And when when you're living at base camp at Everest, you're generally in the group, the tour group that you're with, and no one's interacting. You're trying to convince, can you know, kind of retain your own energy because you're you're up there for about two or three months acclimating, doing. Four different ascents to kind of acclimate, then you come back down, you go to camp one back down, camp two back down. So you're kind of going up and down. And when you're back down, you're, you're kind of regrouping, conserving your energy. Anyway, when you're back at base camp and there's, I don't know how many, there's a couple hundred people there at any one time at Everest base camp and probably I'll guess 20 different tour groups. What Allison was doing was, in between the ascents and the descents, she's going to all these other groups, all these other expeditions, and meeting all the people, talking to all the people. Yeah. And someone in her own group asked her, so, Allison, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. They're competing for us on the mountain. If they're in the line, she goes, I'm saving my life. Wow. And they said, what are you talking about? She said, you see all the – because on Everest, there's nothing but frozen bodies on the side of the trail absolutely people that, people that were left because you can't get a dead body down and she said I'm saving my life and she, and they said what do you mean she said because if you pass someone that's freezing to death and dying or they're out of oxygen if you don't know them you walk by if you know them you make an effort wow think about it yeah if you if you know someone in just walking in your neighborhood if you know someone is, and you see someone in your neighborhood is struggling to get their groceries out of the car. If you don't know them, there's no personalization there. You just kind of walk on by 99% of the time, unless you're one of the beautiful people that you love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you actually know your neighbor and had, had a conversation with him, you see him struggling, getting some groceries out of the car, how much more likely are you to walk up and give him a hand?
1: So the, the key point she's making there is be known to
0: those people by, knowing those people. Exactly. Make a connection. Have a conversation. Be the person that you can't wait to see walk in, through that door. And how do you do that? You're seeking their thoughts and opinions. You're talking in terms of their priorities, challenges, and pain points. You're validating with non-judgmental curiosity. And yeah. if appropriate, you're giving them choices. Those four keys of communication are doing just that. So in building unbreakable alliances, I got my my, my things right there were put in the book. You know, the first one is focus. How do you focus on another human being? How do you be deeply present without any distractions, no social media, be present with no multitasking? We, it's genetically impossible for us to multitask. For whatever you think you can do, whatever this generation thinks they can do, you can do a lot of things at once, but you're not going to do them all like 100%. crap. I guarantee it. Yep. Next, trust. You know, you got to build trust if you're going to have unstoppable alliances. You're going to communicate effectively using those four keys. You're going to focus on inspi- inspiring people rather than convincing or influencing or persuading. Again, no right or wrong here. I'm just talking about mindset. Is thinking about inspiring them to action. You're yeah, going to, yeah. in order to resolve any conflicts, potential conflicts with someone that arise, if you want a good a healthy alliance, you got to, what Jocko Lincoln and Leif Babin talk about extreme ownership, you got to own it. Take full accountability for your, your actions. That's not to say someone else isn't doing something wrong, but who cares? You have no control. You've got to own your own actions. Building context is key. Everyone's talking about diversity and inclusion, all these things, which is fantastic. And how do you understand others? Context. Walk. You know, Brene Brown talks about in her books, you know, it's, <laughs> you don't understand someone? Great. Get closer. Walk another mile in someone else's shoes, but take yours off first. This is about deep empathy. context matters, build. So once you have that relationship, the actions you're going to take to continually build and maintain that relationship, don't let it die on a, on a, on a, on a vine. I mean, you and I are a great example. We've had one conversation, but through all these last four years, we've built it. Why? When you see something I put out there, you post it, you comment on it, you rebroadcast it. I see that. It matters to me. You say nice things. I mean, I remember all the stuff you put out when when your daughter got married and yeah. all the other content you're putting out. So when when you reached out with an ass to come on a show, oh, of course, it's not even a thought. Of course, because wow. why? We grew a relationship, even yeah. just from one in-person conversation through always being there for each other and supporting each other. And then mastery is the final thing we do. It's a des- It's not a destination, it's a journey. Get the reps in. Every single day. And as James Clear talks in Atomic Habits, it's not about going from zero to 100. Don't take all these things, as I call death by Robin, the fire hose of all the stuff I've threw out there today. Pick one and add one small new behavior. And you add one small new behavior, like instead of constantly telling people what you think, shut up, (laughs) ask them what they think. (laughs) You do that and you cascade that over the course of a week, a month, and a year. You're going to see profound differences in, in the relationships and alliances you have.
1: I want to take a, a turn from what we're talking about up to this point. So we talked about the positive aspects of trust building and building trust with people that we, you know, for both parties, there's an earnestness to build trust with one another. And any of us have been in business long enough, have dealt with people that you know we put our trust in them and they screwed us you mm. know in one way or another they didn't pay an invoice they didn't follow through with what they were what they said they were going to go through and so forth and i i have this framework in my mind never shared it publicly but i talked to my wife about it you know there's this the law of civility and the law of the jungle so the law of the civ- civility is the stuff that you and I have just talked about, these are things that you follow these principles, you will reap these certain rewards and both parties have an agreement that these principles are good. And then the law of the jungle, there's, there, there's no, there's no rule of law. There's no common set of principles and you're having to navigate and read things to to make sure that you can get certain things done. And I have to imagine that in your case, where you were dealing with potential informants, you were you were on that edge of having to deal with the law of the jungle. You had to build trust with people that would only think in terms of, or at least initially would only think in terms of power. Like a... You, I call it the dark side of of trust and persuasion which is Robert Greene's the 48 laws of power
0: I knew exactly what you talking about my copy's sitting right there yeah I, I've got it too because that I, narcissist I, guidebook
1: yeah I, I, I believe that every one of us needs to be well versed in those 100 those things because we have to defend ourselves and we mm-hmm. have to n- navigate and know what's you know be able to label what's being done to us so that we can navigate around it. Mm-hmm. What I would love to do is get your perspective of how how you navigate that. How you be a trust builder in a realm where the law of the jungle
0: persists. I'm going to give the the quick answer and then I'll I'll explain different nuances of it because I I hate the quick answer which is depends. And what it depends on is what you actually need from the individual slash relationship. My simple answer is really simple. I don't do crazy. And if you're coming at me with incongruent behavior from your actions, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. And that's a crazy, like, you know, I I use it flippantly and I know I shouldn't. But I mean, it means that you and where you're at on your life path, like you said, if you're on the jungle path, that's just where they're at. And I don't judge someone where they're at. It's just incompatible with my healthy path. I just don't do it. Yep. if I have a choice, at my point in my life with my business and the things I do, I have a lot of choice, and I just don't do that. And I and I'm very specific on this as well. In this lane, someone might have this one vector that is is facing me about a particular incongruent behavior, experience. They don't have the reps in, and so I will not engage them here. I literally have a relationship with someone like this now. Their business side right here facing me absolutely is abhorrent that they, they they're it's it's been screwed and it's not working yeah over here though on a personal side oh they' great human beings beautiful people wow. I love them I don't allow one to affect the other I just know here we're we're, we're not we're not in alignment not you're you you, yeah. you you they are not ready for the relationship with me they might be good with someone else with me this is incompatible today tomorrow might be a whole new day you get a couple more reps in it might be a brand new day so I don't hold grudges, I don't keep a scorecard, but I keep very aware. Mm. And so I'm just always looking to ensure that what I call the equation is balanced. And that is someone is communicating the same way I'm communicating. They're offering the same way I'm offering. They're transparent the same way I'm transparent. I'm looking for a balanced equation for a healthy relationship. If there's, and starts getting nuance of unbalanced where they're, especially when it comes to incongruence of actions and words, falling through on commitments that were made, that's an incongruence. And if they're not being, now granted, that happens. Not a big deal. If there's transparency, no transparency, oh, we're done here. We're going to move back. Now granted you might have to do business so that's that's if you have the choice to walk away now right. you don't have a choice to walk away it's a boss it's a coworker it's a, it's 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 a vendor you have to deal with yeah well now we're going to have a conversation about it i'm just going to be very very plain with not what i think about you because now shields are up i'm going to be very plain with what i need from you in order for this to work effectively and here's what i'm seeing help me understand this behavior what specifically are you going for when you did this? Because the, the big thing to remember so that you don't get your own self def- your, your own insecurities, your own trauma responses flaring up where you get angry is to realize 99.9% of the time, no one is doing it to you. They're just being who they are. They just don't know any better about dealing with you. Well, my job is to help you understand what that what question to do to interact healthy with me. If you need to move forward with X and I need to move forward with X with you, here's what we need to do to do that. Very very specific cognitively. Don't start getting into a here's what you did, here's how you made me feel. No one cares. I mean you care, but as I say to my son all the time, he's a Marine Corps pilot, my daughter too, she's not she's a nurse. It's like <laughs> when 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 chaos hits, there's no standard operating procedure for chaos. Yeah. Work the problem. And Working the problem means be open and transparent, be clear with what you need, ask them what questions about what they're needing from this relationship, ask them what question about what you fell, fell flat on your face for and you didn't provide to them. Because if you have an emotional reaction to someone, if you feel something's unbalanced, I guarantee you they think the same thing too.
1: A key component of sales is collections. And, yeah. You know that. When, when it comes to money there's in, in payment and non-time payment that's a that that's a trust building or trust depleting aspect of of being in business and what, what what i'm hearing you say here is a way that you can apply what you're talking about is remove the emotion because the first part is you're pissed off you feel disrespected you've Feel these things that make you want to lash out, put extra pressure and do certain things that may actually cause the per- person to either push back or retaliate against you and say, what the hell? I'm not paying you anything type of thing. And one thing that I found, I, I remember an instance, I was, I was working with a marketing agency just several years back and they had not the client had not paid a $15,000 invoice. It was, it was going on close to six months. The client had, you know, the, the agency president had tried and tried to try to collect was getting really pissed off and asked me if I could help handle it. And one of the things I did is I reached out to him and said, look, I'm hoping you can help me. We have this invoice. It's six months past due, and usually when an invoice goes this long, it's because of one or one of three reasons. And I outlined the reasons and tried to be empathetic about where they stood. Do any of these reasons ring true or is there something else that we can work with? Were you not satisfied with the service that you had received that got a response and within three weeks they broke it up in the payments paid the bill in full but it was one of those aspects of you know our emotions get in the way we sometimes are tempted to shove people into the law of the jungle because we immediately think in worst case scenario and not give people the benefit of the doubt number one or number two we don't give them a way to save face and not be embarrassed or not be able to respond and work with you to solve the problem. And that, that scenario seems like something that, that fits
0: in line with what you're talking about here. Oh my God, Sean, I know you and I read the same things and do the same things. <laughs> I, I literally had the exact same thing happen to me a couple of times, probably yeah. once, maybe twice. Yeah. This happens one, shame on me happens twice, you know, or what 100%. 100%. 100%. <laughs> so there's two aspects of that. One, if you're going to have a healthy relationship with everyone, especially if someone is having a challenge, I call challenge of pain. Yeah. The worst thing you can do in the world is take their shame and show it to them. You want to ruin a relationship? Because a I'll tell you, they know they're not paying <laughs> and they're not communicating with you because they feel shame. Uh, Even in the law of jungle, believe it or not, unless you're dealing with a high, someone that's spiking high-end psychopathy and narcissism, which believe it or not, it's not all that common. Yep, very very small percentage. In general, one of those reasons that you gave came came to bear. Yep, and they feel shame. If you shove shame in their face, you're never going to get it and when as you're speaking the other part of that that i was really reminded of one of my favorite books always that i've read this past year as well is uh, rich man in babylon have you of read course. it of course yeah <laughs> i literally had the conversation with, with a vendor saying listen if you make 10 shekels uh-huh. i get two <laughs> you pay yourself one and the way we keep a healthy relationship is every month you tell me how many shekels you made with transparency and if you can afford to give me twenty dollars, it'll be twenty dollars. If you can afford to give me two hundred, it'll be two hundred. If you can pay, the, if you can afford to pay the bill off, you pay the bill off. But we have yeah. a conversation. There yeah. is no shame. I get it. Things happen. We yeah. maintain a healthy relationship, and you give me your shekels that you yeah. owe me.
1: One hundred percent, Robin. Anything we haven't talked about today that you think would be really important for us to talk about before we close things out?
0: No, we covered great content, uh, beautiful content, you know, so I I highly encourage anyone who's listening to go back and listen to this one again, you asked some great, some great questions that covered some deep, deep gold, And, and you're gonna, this is an episode where I hope people get it at the multiple layers that it is, there's actionable tools and techniques, there is no doubt, but there's deeper behaviors that each of us can both exhibit and look for in others, if we're going to have deep relationships in order to recognize them, in order to do them, it's going to take reps. Yes. And so I highly encourage everyone to pick one thing you heard throughout this and make it a rep, make it a simple rep. If if it's easy, you make it and repeatable. It's something you're going to do every day. Yeah. And when you start getting reps, that's when you're on the path to mastery. And if you can become the master of being present. And that's the other thing I want to leave people with too, is be present. The way you're present, you can actually, it's in that flow state with another human being. Those are the moments when you're having a conversation like we had today and time, there there's no time. You're in the moment with that other person. And we've all had it where you're driving home from work sometime maybe, and all of a sudden, poof, you're home. Yes. Why would happen? Your mind was so engrossed with what you're thinking or listening to on the radio or an audible book or something. You're just into it. You can actually put yourself in your own flow state with another human being easily. Let go of the agenda. Be curious about everything they're saying. When you're curious about what they're saying, fill up like you did today, fill out the nooks and crannies. You know, you had a few things that you wanted to talk about. But there was no agenda or path to get there. You filled out Mm -hmm. nooks and crannies by the curiosity that you had, and that made a flow conversation. Mm -hmm. And when you have a flow conversation with someone, and you give them that gift, who wants to talk to you again? Who refers you? Who can't wait for you to walk around that corner? Something that you had flow with. And so be deeply present. So have that conversation, let go of the agenda, and just be present.
1: Robin. Thank you so much. That is a fantastic and fantastic words today. I really appreciate you coming on board.
0: I appreciate you too, Sean. Keep doing what you do. And everyone listening, hit like, hit subscribe, share it with everyone else because he puts a lot of work in these things to bring you all amazing content. God, the perfect guest right here, Robin Drake.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. If you liked what you heard, please hit like and subscribe and share this episode with anyone you think will find value in it. In the meantime, I'll leave you with this. Always remember when you fix your systems, you'll fix your sales until next time.